0: Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life, and I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. Go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 16. We are the last Sunday of July, which means we are in the last week of our study of important, life-changing, history-changing battles recorded in Scripture. We've gone over three that are historical, historical narratives in Scripture, meaning that they are recorded, the actual events of the battle are recorded in the text of the 31,102 verses in Scripture. We've went over one last week, the Battle of Jerusalem, which is prophesied in Scripture but it's not recorded because, well, there was just no reason in recording it. He pretty much said everything he needed to say about it in the prophecy. And then it happened. And then really the, there are only one or two or three uh, books written after the fact. And they didn't need to talk about the battle. So it's, it's only recorded in prophecy in Matthew chapter 24 and, and so forth. And then now we're going to talk about one that is, that is recorded, that is prophesied, however you want to call it, in apocalyptic literature, which is different, okay? Anytime you hear the word apocalyptic literature, that is text of the Scripture that are written in symbols, not to be some kind of spooky, mystical type thing. The book of Revelation is not that scary. Here's the entirety of the book. Are you ready? I'm about to, I'm about to tell you... The entire book of Revelation in 30 seconds or less. It's pretty bad right now, but it's going to get even worse. But don't worry, it's okay. Done. Book of Revelation. He wrote that in symbols, and he talks about specific people and specific times and specific events. But he prophesies it and writes it in symbols so that if a Roman official, say you're a Christian in the first century. And, and you are about to face the persecution that is recorded in the book of Revelation. John needs to get you a letter. And the only way he can get that letter to you, it, they didn't have email or text message or encrypted messages back then. The only way to get that letter to you is to put it in the hands of someone and send them to you. He's on an island called the Isle of Patmos, which is off the coast of modern day, modern day Turkey-ish. Uh, area. Turkish area. Anyways. um, And he needs to get a letter to Asia, which is modern day Turkey. He needs to get a letter to the mainland. The only problem is John has been exiled there, which means that the Roman government is already not too happy about him even existing or being a Christian. And so he writes the book of Revelation and he puts it in symbols that the first century Christians would understand. Now we're separated by 2,000 years between them and us. And some things that they understood and they knew and colloquialisms and idioms that they understood don't equate to modern day English. Like for instance, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. What comes next? Our daily bread, right? Oh, that means, you know, God is going to take care of us. No, here's, here's what daily bread means. It's a loaf of bread that would last a day. We know that because we found a, a shopping list from a woman in Pompeii, the city that was destroyed by the volcano. We found a woman's shopping list. And guess what she had on her shopping list for that day? She was going to the market, and she put down daily bread. Wives, when you text your husband, grab a loaf of bread, that's what give us this day our daily bread means. He's not making some deep theological discussion about providence. Jesus is saying, take care of our physical needs today, and we know that you're going to take care of our physical needs tomorrow. And so some of the idioms, some of the colloquialisms that they had back then just don't equate. And so we see the book of Revelation, and we're completely and utterly confused. There's this beast And there's seven angels and there's a bunch of trumpets and some guys on some horses wearing different clothes and there's this giant uh, sea beast and this land beast and we get all confused and people make entire religious movements on saying that the book of Revelation is saying one thing or saying the other thing and here's the gist of it. It's really bad right now but it's going to get worse but don't worry because it's going to get better in the end. That's the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 16, our last battle is discussed the battle of Armageddon we'll talk about that word here in just a minute but first let's recap what we've talked about so far you have the battle of Jericho We talked about the battle of Jericho first that's the one where the people were told to circle the city of Jericho one time per day for six days and then on the seventh day you circle it for seven days and then you blow the trumpets and God took care of the battle of Jericho The people didn't have to do anything. The battle of Jericho shows that God is going to act. Then we moved to the battle of Aphek, which is the battle where they lose a a battle. That light is going to drive me nuts. All right, they lose a battle. Y'all are all sitting in the dark. It's like really spiritual right here and then the rest of us. Anyways, well you know, some people say if the dark lights are out, then it's more spiritual. Anyways, um, the battle of Aphek, that's the one where they lose the battle and so they call... And instead of going and doing what God said to do, which is call the priests, get the priests to come, preach a sermon, encourage the people, get them riled up, get them ready, get them understanding that God is going to protect them, and then send them in the battle. Instead of doing that, it's 23 miles away, let's go 11 miles away, about half, and let's get the Ark of the Covenant and bring God, and God will be our scapegoat. He will be our trump card. If we, get the battle, if we get into battle and we have the Ark of the Covenant, then God is bound to follow us. God is bound to protect us. And the battle of Aphex shows that man's inability to, for faithfulness is simply on his decisions. You have people today that say, well, you can't follow God's commands. The tough thing about the Old Testament was nobody could follow it. It's so hard to follow Christianity today. The world is so different than what was happening 2,000 years ago. And we're trying to follow a book written 2,000 years ago, and it just doesn't fit today. It's the same arguments that they were making back then. Moses wrote that in Leviticus to go get the priest hundreds of years ago. And they don't, they, that's a different time period than what we have today. Just go get the Ark of the Covenant. So the battle of Jerusalem shows God's ability the battle of Aphex shows man's ability to make decisions contrary to the will of God and that God's will does not change. Then we move to the battle of Soca, which is David and Goliath. A man somewhere around the age of 21 to 25, relatively speaking, is a trained sniper, military in mindset, but cannot go to war because he has other brothers and his other brothers are at war. And the book of Leviticus says that you can't send all of the brothers to war. So he's at home watching the sheep. He goes to take care of his brothers. He finds out that his brothers and the rest of the Israelite army are chickens. And so he says, I'll take care of the giant. He walks down there with his sniper rifle, with his sling, one shot, one kill, takes out Goliath because he understands that man's faithfulness, combined with God's ability, will always win the battle. Then we talked about the battle of Jer- Jerusalem, which is when God punished the people of Israel for the death of Jesus Christ. The, the, the nation of Israel still existed, but the religion of Judaism had passed away about 50 years ago, 40 to 50 years before that. Now Christianity is in power, but there's these people still living by the Old Testament law. They, they're not repentant for killing the Christ, for murdering the Messiah. And so God punishes them, wipes the nation of Israel off the planet, gets rid of all of the records, all of the law, all, the temple, everything. He gets rid of all of the Torah scrolls that were stored in the temple. He gets rid of everything of the Old Testament. Now you have Jews today that live and call themselves Jews and really and truly they are simply people trying to live by a dead law and a dead letter and trying to be a nation that God is bound and determined will not exist ever again after the destruction of Jerusalem. And then you come to Revelation 16 and the battle of Armageddon which is in essence... A culmination of all of those things that we just talked about God's ability, man's unwillingness to be faithful, man's ability to be faithful, and with that and God's ability, we can win every single battle. But if we decide to live by an Old Testament law that is not going to save us, then we will be punished for it. That's what the Battle of Armageddon is all about. Now, let's see how far I jumped ahead in my notes. All right, so let's talk a a little bit about the Battle of Armageddon. Now, first off, I want to show you this picture. This is a a satellite image from Google Earth of what is called the Megiddo Valley. Um, This valley is very important in history. history. If you look, you'll see uh, the little dip at the top left. That is where Tyre and Sidon were. Um, You see to the right, that's the uh, Sea of Galilee where Jesus grew up. And down this green strip below the Sea of Galilee is the Jordan River. So that gives you a little bit of idea of where you are. This Megiddo Valley. I'm going to read off a list of, of nations that have fought battles in and won control over the Valley of Megiddo. And these are just the ones that I know of. Are you ready? Egypt, Canaan, Philistia, Israel, Assyria, Persia, Greece, Rome, the Ottoman Empire. And then today, people are still fighting over the battle or the valley of Megiddo. Now, some of these, Egypt, Philistia, Israel, Assyria, Persia, Greece, Rome, the Ottoman Empire. All of these are major world powers that have existed in the past, right? Shake your head like this, yes. Okay. All of these are major world powers. What does a world power want with a little bitty valley in a relatively barren land? I mean, you look at this picture, there's a lot of browns and grays on there. What's so special about this? Well, under that orange is bright green. If you want good growing land in this area, you need the battle or the valley, sorry, of Megiddo. Now, the word Armageddon. We'll read the text here in just a second, but I just want to get you some, some cultural ideas before we get in there, okay? The Armageddon, the word Armageddon, is made up of two words, Ar and Megiddo. R is the Hebrew for mountain of, and Megiddo is Megiddo. Okay, this is the valley of Megiddo. And Paul, sorry, John is going to talk about in the book of Revelation that there is going to be a battle on the mountain of Megiddo. Revelation chapter 16, verse number 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, from the mouth of the beast, and from the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Just pause. The reason why we know this, along with the rest of the book of Revelation, is figurative, is in signs, is because he didn't say they were frogs. He said they are like frogs for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole earth to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the almighty behold I am coming like a thief blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on that he may not go naked go about naked and be seen exposed another reason why we know this is figurative Because why in the world is John telling them to keep their clothes on? Other than a topic of modesty, which is an important topic. But, verse number 16. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon, the the mountain of Mageddon, the mountain of Megiddo. Now, what mountain is around the Megiddo Valley? you look down here on the bottom part, there is a light gray area. There is a mountain there. It is called Mount Tabor. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. What else happened at Mount Tabor? If you go back to this map, you'll see Jesus grew up just, just northeast of here. And during the early part of His ministry, Jesus spent a lot of time in this area. He started ministering in the area of Galilee. He spent a lot of time in these mountains praying and prophesying. And getting ready for what would amount to be a three-year journey, a three-year ministry that would end in Him being on the cross and dying for the sins of mankind. And in Luke 9, verse 28, is another instance where Jesus goes to a mountain to pray. Now about eight days after these sayings, He took with Him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as He was praying, the appearance of His face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with Him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. They were afraid, and they entered as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and told no one of those days, no one in those days anything of what they had seen. The Mount of Transfiguration. The moment when Jesus has a conversation with Moses, can you just hold on for just a second? This is just my thinking when I read passages like this. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. He's dog tired because Mount Tabor is not a short mountain. If you've ever climbed a mountain, you've ever been hiking, it is not—it's um, not an easy thing. Mount Tabor is a a pretty big mountain. And Jesus and his disciples walk up that mountain. And his disciples go to sleep because they're tired. But Jesus is there for a reason. So he starts praying. Moses and Elijah come to him. And they have a conversation. I wish I knew what that conversation was. Jesus Christ, part of the Godhead, the Word in the Old Testament, is talking with two of the, the lawgivers of the Old Testament. Moses, the man who wrote the Old Testament law, Genesis, through uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, so forth, the, the Pentateuch. Elijah, one of the, the premier prophets of the Old Testament. What are they telling him? What's he telling them? This is just in my mind, this is the way the conversation goes. They show up. Jesus says, hi, how are y'all doing? Fancy seeing you here. And Moses says, you're about to do it, aren't you? Yep, I'm about to do it. I'm about to take a new law to the people of the world. I'm going to lay down a law that will be the fulfillment of what you wrote, Moses. And Elijah says, you know what they're going to do, right? They don't like it when people tell them what to do. It happened to me. It happened to Moses. And if you're telling these Jews that you're fulfilling what Moses wrote, they're they're not going to like this. Jesus says, I know. But I have to do it anyways. Because they need salvation. And then Peter wakes up. And runs over to Jesus and says, What are you doing, Jesus? Who are these people? Jesus says, Peter, I'd like you to meet Moses and Elijah. That didn't happen. Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus started the process where He would die, happened on the mountain of Megiddo. You see, the battle of Armageddon is not a battle where Jesus is going to come back. As the world would tell you, going to come back and bring his angels and fight the angels of Satan and there will be giant blood loss between the angels of Jesus and the angels of Satan and mankind will be wrapped up in this as well and it will be the end of the world as we know it that's not what, that's not what John is talking about remember John is prophesying it is bad right now it is going to get worse but you will be okay Remember all of the times that our people and the people of Egypt and the people of Assyria and the people of Canaan land and the people of Philistia and the people of Rome and Greece, remember all of the times that these people have fought at the battle of Megiddo, at the valley of Megiddo. And you remember, you remember what Jesus did on the mountain of Megiddo, Mount Tamor, he was changed. He started his process of becoming the Messiah, the one to die for the world. Armageddon is not a physical battle that will, will happen sometime in the future. Armageddon is a battle of change in the hearts of people. What happened at the battle? Or sorry, at Mount Tabor, Jesus' heart has changed. He is now ready to die. Even though he's God, he's also man. And I guarantee you, I don't know what happened in that conversation between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. But I guarantee you, something was said about the fact that Jesus as a man wasn't exactly thrilled about what was going to happen to him when he brought this new law and Elijah and Moses were there to remind him as a man that it will be okay. I mean you see other instances where Jesus had this sort of thought process. When he's in the garden in John 17, he prays that what that God will change the plan that the Father will change the plan and somehow it will make it to where he does not have to die on the cross. But he understands that the likelihood of that is non-existent. The battle of Armageddon is a battle of change in the hearts of mankind. In fact, that's exactly what we're fighting today. The battle of Armageddon is not a future event. It is not a past event. It is a present event. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. finally... Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore. This battle of Armageddon that John is prophesying about is the battle that you and I fight every single day. It's the battle of, I think this isn't worth it. But I know it is. It's a mental battle that happens within the minds of every single human being that is trying to live for Jesus Christ. It is not a physical battle. Christians don't fight. Physical battles for our faith. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not carnal. They have divine power. They destroy the strongholds of the mind. They destroy the things in our minds that are holding us back from future faithfulness and progress. That's the battle of Armageddon. Now here's the question that really really needs to be asked. And that is, how, how can we look at the past battles in Scripture and figure out what we should think about this battle of our minds? The battle of Jericho. God is going to make sure that no human life is lost if it doesn't have to be lost. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The battle of Aphek. We cannot allow God to be a scapegoat, to be a trump card, to be something that we just use when we have a problem, and then we pull pull away from Him whenever we're good, whenever we're okay. God, God is not interested in just being our escape. The battle of Soka. It is going to take preparation. David did not walk onto that valley floor. A 14-year-old boy with a slingshot ready to kill a mockingbird. He walked into that battle knowing that there was no way he was going to lose because he was ready and because God was able. The battle of Jerusalem. If we decide to not follow God's law... We will lose the battle. The battle of Armageddon is in the book of Revelation because those Jews would remember every single one of those. Those Christians would remember every single one of those. You're sitting in A.D. 96 at the end of the New Testament time period and you've received a letter and you know that Something is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen very quickly. Christians are going to be persecuted. Just look 20 years ago when Nero burnt Rome and then they came and destroyed Jerusalem. They're, they're looking for us. This Roman Empire is going to exterminate us if they get the chance. And he says there's one last battle to be fought. And it's not a physical battle. It's a mental one. If you give up, you've already lost. If you don't find the faithfulness that Revelation 2.10 leads unto death, you've already lost. I'll end it with this. This is the type of battle that was going on in the first century and really and truly I think goes on today. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let me ask you a question. How often do you think those Corinthians, fell back into those things. Pretty often. You think, you think Las Vegas would be a tough place to live as a Christian? I'll tell you, there is a church. there are multiple churches in Las Vegas. There is one that one of my best friends is a preacher at Oakey Boulevard Church of Christ. And there are some of the best Christians that I've ever heard of. I've never met them there, but he's told me stories about the Christians at Oakey Boulevard that are some of the the most devoted people because they are surrounded by it. We're surrounded by it in Columbus, right? But you you can't go to a movie theater without being surrounded by it there. You can't drive down the street without seeing sin on a regular occurrence. You think Las Vegas is bad? In the first century, if you were to go off and to become immoral, it was called Corinthianizing. Las Vegas has nothing on Corinth. How often do you think those people in Corinth fell away and then had to come back? And those people were fighting a battle that never ended. Not only that, but just read some of those sins. Adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals, covetous, greedy, alcoholics, partiers, Some of those things are things that you don't really ever get rid of the temptation for. They were fighting the battle of Armageddon then, and we're fighting the battle of Armageddon now. And it's just the question of whether or not we're going to give in and whether or not we're going to give up. Because as you look to the other historical battles in the Scriptures, there's one thing that prevails over everything, and that is God's people always win. God's people always win. If, if God is for us, who can be against us? God's people always win. And the fact is that you and I are fighting the Battle of Armageddon right now. You'll be fighting it in five minutes when we leave here. You'll be fighting it next week and next year and next month. And you'll fight it as long as you're alive. But it is okay. Because you can win. If you need to become a Christian... That's the only way to start the battle. You cannot become a Christian. It's perfectly within your grasp, within your ability and within your right to decide to never become a Christian. You you can do that, and I will allow you to do that because I can't make you become a Christian. However, I will tell you this if you never start the battle, then you don't get the proceeds of the battle. And you'll be lost. But if you do start the battle and you do fight it and you do stay faithful and you fight the battle of the mind and you take control of your life and your mind and your thoughts and your actions and you take the consequences for your actions at times and you live a faithful Christian life, then you will have what Revelation earlier said. If you fight the fight, if you, if you have faith unto death that leads to death then you will have a crown of righteousness. You will have the proceeds of that battle. And you will be able to say that you fought and you lived and you died for Christ. I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. It's what Paul would say. And that's what you'll be able to say if you'll become a Christian this morning. If you are a Christian, let me make something very clear. If you turn your back on God, He is going to turn His back on you. And it is not His fault. It's your fault. It's my fault when I turn my back on Him. The, the, the funny quip that always occurs when you read Ephesians chapter 6 is you read the, the armor of God and you notice that there isn't anything on the back. There's no armor on the back. There's no back plate. There's no protection in the back of the, the head or the back of the vital organs. And the reason for that is because Christians don't run. People run all the time. People turn their back on God all the time. But Christians don't. Because Christians have been born of Jesus Christ and know that sometimes we may lose every once in a while, we may fall every once in a while, But we are fighting a battle that we cannot lose. And if you need to repent of sins, you need to do that now so that you can fight the battle that you cannot lose and not turn your back on Him. If you turn your back on Him, He will turn His back on you. And it's not His fault. It's your fault and it's my fault. And all of us do it at times. And all of us sometimes have to pay the consequences for it. But all of us know that If we will just keep fighting, we'll make it through. If you need to become a Christian or repent of sins, let's stand and sing a song of encouragement for you, and you can let us know while we do that.